You are listening to the Permission to Burn Your Manual podcast. I am your host, Kathy Whaley, MD, physician and life coach. Do you want to live the life you choose? A life that is by design rather than by default? Well, that path to the life you choose is uniquely yours, and it's filled with limitless potential. So join me and burn your manual. This book that defines our expectations of self, but also holds us back. Together, we will forge, innovate, and refine as we go along. Hello, friends. I have received some really lovely feedback from some of you. And I really appreciate hearing from you all and hearing more about how the podcast is helping and things you'd like to hear about. As always, it would mean so much if you all would help me get the word out by sharing this episode with a few friends, subscribing to the podcast on whatever platform, and leaving a review. By leaving a review, you help others who are looking for a podcast know whether this might be a good fit for them. And as always, I love to game an algorithm. So leaving the review games the algorithm a little bit more. Okay, onwards, tribe. Today we are going to talk about feelings and how feelings are frankly the ultimate stalker. The stalker that you cannot call police, you are the only person who can actually address the stalker issue. So we talked about why we do anything, why we take any actions or inactions, and it's all about how it will make us feel, right? So we love having our to-do list and checking the box and when we've checked off an item we're sitting there feeling oh yeah like eight down two to go now one of the most prevalent feelings for me has always been anxiety okay so I will be using the feeling of anxiety a lot throughout this podcast episode to highlight a lot of the points I'm making so Have you ever lost something in the house? And when you realize it, you literally start ripping apart the entire house obsessively, looking for the item, even though you don't actually need it right now. And like no long-term harm is going to come from delaying the exploration of the item. Okay, that is me. I'm going to tell you, I could rip up my house for two hours. And I come by this honestly. My mother will do exactly the same thing. So why do I rip apart the house? I rip apart the house because I'm feeling anxious. And that anxiety drives me to try to find the item. Because my anxiety will be relieved when I locate the item. And so if I can't figure out another way to make the anxiety go away and I don't want to feel it, then you engage in all of these actions for the purpose of trying to relieve the feeling. So when we have one of these negative feelings such as anxiety, what do we do with them? So in general, we resist 
avoid or react. So avoid is probably the most prevalent action that we take in regard to feelings, especially as an adult, because we're just really not taught to feel negative feelings that are very complex. A lot of our education around feelings happens in early childhood, and we learn very simple feelings. Sad, mad, happy, glad, angry. But these more complex feelings that come along as our brain matures, I mean, there's no there's no education about that. And so the way that we learn to process our feelings is really how we are taught by society and by our family. And we're really not taught to feel our own feelings, much less process anyone else's. It becomes very uncomfortable. I think grief and loss is probably one of the most powerful types of feelings that we feel uncomfortable and attempt to avoid. Historically, we grieve in private, right? We have funerals where the families are hidden out of view so that nobody can see them grieving. It feels uncomfortable to the person who's grieving and it feels uncomfortable to the viewers. We engage in comparing mind thoughts. And I've, I've given the example before of, okay, a family has a car accident and one of the children pass away. And when that parent is in the dumps because their child is dead, there is an attempt to avoid by saying, well, at least I still have the other two kids. At least I'm not dead. On an everyday basis, the way we avoid is by buffering. And I've really not gone much into buffering, so I'm going to explain the concept broadly. But it's things that we do because we want to avoid dealing with a feeling. So for example, drinking, overeating, eating dessert, binging on Netflix, watching TV endlessly. If the end result of all of those things is really not anything you want, and you're still left with the feeling, you have avoided. Now, the second option that can happen is that we react to the feeling. So we just talked about avoid. Now we're going to talk about react. And in my mind, this is like the toddler tantrums, okay? And I don't mean to imply that adults are embarking on tantrums, although I'm sure some folks do. But this would be the crying, screaming, yelling, like the true outbursts that are not about processing a feeling. And it's really just reacting to it without any processing. Now, I'm not saying that people who are processing emotions or feelings aren't potentially crying when they're processing. But there is a really strong difference between the two. And once you have actually experienced processing an emotion, I don't think you'll ever be unclear about what the difference is. 
the last thing we do with feelings is we try to resist them. And I'm not really going to go into all of this except for to say, it's just a hard no. It's like, I'm, I'm not going to process this. It's not going to happen. Here it is. So the flip side is that we can allow the feelings. And that is what leads to processing. But I would say a lot of people don't know what that looks like. I definitely didn't know what that looks like. So let's talk about the steps of how that looks like. The first step would be observance. And this is really just conscious awareness that a feeling is present and being able to identify what it is. Can you name it? Do you know what despondent feels like in your body? I know that was sort of an out there example, but you see my point. When we are aware that a feeling is present, we allow it and we don't judge ourselves or shame ourselves. Okay? There's no shame or judgment in a feeling. It's just a feeling. When we shame ourselves or judge ourselves for having it, we are creating an entirely new problem. So in the allowance, we become still with the feeling and we notice where the feelings live in your body. All feelings create physical manifestations or vibrations. So for example, for me, when I feel anxious, I feel like I have rocks in my stomach. When I'm angry, my jaw, shoulders, and hands become clenched and frankly, my face turns beet red. I also turn beet red when I'm embarrassed. I just want you to pause here for a minute and ask yourself, what is truly so bad about feelings that we must resist, react, or avoid them? The feeling itself does no permanent harm to me or to you. And I said this once to a client and it took a while for this to really sink in because she was sitting there saying, no, I'm hurting really badly. So here's what I mean about no permanent harm. It will go away at some point and it will be as if it didn't happen and it's not going to kill you. But the more we resist, react and avoid the more the feeling intensifies. And then it becomes this self-propelling cycle. So we have a feeling, we resist, react, avoid, the feeling increases intensity, and then we believe that it's more harmful because the intensity has increased. So now here's a question. I have described resisting, reacting, and avoiding versus allowing, and there were some overlaps of crying. We, we both know that they're going to feel uncomfortable, potentially, if it's a negative feeling. So how do you know if you're actually allowing and processing versus resisting, reacting, and avoiding? 
here's the bottom line. When you are resisting, reacting, and avoiding, your feeling is a stalker. It is the ultimate stalker that is always there, and as you try to push the feeling away, make it go away, it will return, and you're not making progress. If anything, you're probably going backwards. Okay? So how do you start dealing with this? What do you do? Well, the first thing is you have to know how you feel. And if you're like me when I was starting out, I had no idea. The best I could do was say, do I feel good or bad in this moment? And pretty much every day, all day, my answer was always, well, I feel bad. So I know that whatever feeling I'm having is falling on the negative side of the spectrum, but I couldn't give specifics. So the way that I identified the specifics was by doing a top three feelings exercise to figure it out. So for many days, probably two weeks, every day I would take note and on the moments where I really felt an intensified negative feeling, I would just try to identify what feeling is this? And so I would pay attention to this is anger, this is anxiety, and here is where it lives in my body, and try to really reconnect the neural pathways that helped me identify which feeling and what that feels like in my body. As I mentioned before, hopeless and overwhelmed were one of my two most prevalent feelings. And just by finally being able to identify them gave me back a sense of empowerment. It actually lessened the feelings a bit because I no longer felt like the feelings were just happening to me and they were driving the boat. Once I was able to call them out by name, it really improved my state of mind. You know, it's almost like you're trying to come up with the name Rumpelstiltskin until you finally get it. So let's go back to the example of me saying I've lost something in the house. Because the feeling of anxiety, it doesn't actually come from losing something, right? I mean, I could have lost a penny, Or I could have lost my passport two days before a trip. Both of those circumstances are in varying severities, but they're still just circumstances. So whatever I've lost and I say, and I'm asking myself the question, what if I never find it? It's that question that gives anxiety. And so if I answer my own question... Well, like, I'm not going to die. I might be sad. Or it might be inconsequential, right? Like, if I lose a penny, I mean, I don't think I'm going to tear up the house for a penny. But, like, someone might. That penny is really important to someone else. If I have lost a passport two days before a trip, I'm just probably not going to go. That's not long-lasting harm. I'm still okay in this moment. I just may not be doing something I thought I would do. So when we address the thoughts, 
that are causing anxiety, often we ease the anxiety just by recognizing the thoughts that are stimulating it. When we answer our own question, what if I never find it, and imagine the worst case, really, the worst case scenario isn't that bad. But until we allow ourselves to truly go to that place where we imagine worst case scenario, just the big question looming of what if I never find it? It is a mountain. It is inconceivable dumpster fire bad. And then when we go to that place of, yeah, really, what's, what's the worst case scenario? It's not that bad. Still, there are moments where the feeling is present and it's not going. You've gotten clear about your thinking and it's just there. And that's when you are going to allow it and compassionately observe it. It is not going to kill you if you're truly allowing it and compassionately observing it. That moment right at the beginning is the worst it can ever be. Because with allowance, the feeling becomes less painful to experience and it starts to release itself. So why is this beneficial to our everyday life? Obviously this is beneficial all the time, but I actually think that there is a potential within this feelings work to really improve the quality of your life on a daily basis. We are creatures of habit. We tend to experience the same feelings on a daily basis. We just sort of, our brain has these favorites that it cherry picks. So when you can recognize with predictability the feelings that you're going to have and the circumstances around how they happen, with time, you start to assimilate all of that information and you operate quite differently. So I'm going to tell you, I lose crap in my house all the time. We have four people and two dogs living in a thousand square foot with way more than a thousand square foot's worth of shit in this house because we've been waiting on our house build to be done for two years. So I lose stuff all the time. If I don't move it, someone else moves it. It is predictable that I am going to be looking for something multiple times a day. And with my awareness that every time that I've lost something in the house, my brain default goes to this place of, what if I never find it? In that awareness, I'm able to sit there and say, okay, I lost my car keys. If I never find my car keys again, I'm just going to go to the dealership and yes, I'm going to have to shell out some money, but like I'll get a duplicate and my husband has a spare. What I'm not going to do is be late to the appointment that I am walking out the door for because I can't handle the anxiety of not knowing where it is. I'm going to go to my appointment using my husband's backup And I'm not going to spend my time obsessively worrying about it. When I have time to devote 
to looking throughout the house for that key, that's when I'm going to do it. But it does not serve me in the least to tear up the house and be late for my appointment just because I'm having a feeling of anxiety. Because that is the only driver of doing something about it right then. So again, look at yourself and identify what are your common triggers every day? Because if you can deploy this compassionate observer method and work through your triggers, you're going to drastically decrease your stress level every day because you have worked out a plan for those common occurrences. And it will inevitably happen. You will lose something that really is a big deal to you. And you may choose to be upset about it and to go forth on the action to tear up your house and find it. But the point is, is that you're making that conscious choice because of how important it is to you in that moment. Instead of letting your need for relief from the feeling drive your actions. That is all I have for you today, my friends. If you, like me, are in the place of really not knowing what's going on with your feelings, don't worry. This, too, is figureoutable. Just start with identifying your top three feelings. I am right here rooting for you, and I will see you again in a week to root for you some more. Are you ready? to start making progress forging the path to the life you choose? Well, visit me at freedomforphysicians.com. Here you will find free resources and guides for any healthcare professional ready to get started. As always, I'd love to hear from you, so don't hesitate to reach out.